Um, last time we we made such great prom, progress, we covered one slide on the PowerPoint. So I took that one out and made another one. And I got a few more too. So this is about the Antioch becoming a key place where God is going to providentially use Antioch to bring the gospel around the Roman Empire. So let me read Acts eleven twenty four to 26 and talking about Barnabas and then Saul who becomes Paul of Tarsus later. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. First called Christians. And so it's interesting how Luke writes. I love Luke X. I, I think you already know that. And Luke will introduce a character early somewhere. And then if you were just reading Luke X for the very first time and you were somewhere in Asia Minor or wherever the thing was circulated, you see somebody introduced like Barnabas or Saul holding the coats of the people that stoned Stephen. It's very dramatic and very interesting. Later, sometimes those people become key people. So they're introduced, not much more said, and then later they become a key person. And Saul becomes Paul, becomes really the focus of the whole last part of Acts as far as the gospel going through the world. And also we know Peter was prominent early in some of this I just think of as we go along because I've been learning how to read. I just thought of something. Isn't it interesting that Peter failed in a couple different times in, in Luke and had unbelief and temptation and whatever and becomes the key person early in Acts who brings the gospel first at Jerusalem, and then as it started to spread, he was a key person, and he first brought the gospel to the Gentiles. But then Saul was even worse. He was a hostile enemy of Christians, so that was a moral failure, and he becomes a key person. I just thought of this now so you guys can judge it, because that's what we do. We judge prophecy, or we judge who, which means... Who has the best reading? But I think Luke wants us to know that God can use people even when they fail. There's hope, forgiveness, and redemption. It happened for Peter, and it happened for Paul. And I think by implication, God can use us. Do you think he can? Do you ever get tempted to look back on your own life and think, I'm, 
I'm too messed up, God will never use me. I think we do. We, or before Sunday school started, we were talking about marriage. Oh, the reason the topic came up is that this is our 46th anniversary today for my wife and I. The, the, well, thank you. But the, the miracle of marriage is that anybody can stay married because the f- one thing that's for sure, they're married to a sinner. So that's why we, we've got to go by grace alone because everybody married is married to a sinner. And if God can use us, he can use anybody. That's literally how I see it in a lot of different ways. So I thank God for that. So I think that message is intended by Luke, and he's the one who's inspired by the Spirit and writes inherently for God. So Barnabas was introduced earlier in Acts 4.36, where it says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and owned attractive land, sold it and brought the money and laid it to the apostles, at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas was a helper and an encourager and who wanted things to happen. In Acts 9.27, he stood up for, for Paul. And I think I mentioned last week, we had a good robust discussion oh, last week, three weeks ago, that God will use you dear saints and the biggest misunderstanding I've seen in my educational life first in Bible college which in some ways was actually pretty pretty good I got some good teachers and I did also at seminary but the system wasn't so great but the biggest error that American Christianity makes is to think you need some kind of a testing to figure out who people's are and what their gifts are. In other words, they do psychological testing, personality testing, motivational testing to find out this, to find out that, and then scientifically figure out who's who and what they can do. And Rick Warren, who I've written a book critiquing, is one who was saying that he, he has this shape program. So you go join his church and you spend your time studying yourself. And I can tell you with total assurance that the most depressing topic you can study is self. (laughs) And if you want to have a really, really bad day, spend it thinking about yourself. And the greatest thing that happened is we we get involved with Christian fellowship and serving the Lord and anything. And all of a sudden the day comes toward the end and we didn't really think about ourselves. We had a happy day. And that's how we can help people. We don't need to study shape or contemplate self or take a test to figure out who self is. Barnabas doesn't say he was full of, had a high IQ, of course, they didn't have that category, or he was brilliant, or he was talented in this way or that way. He liked to encourage people and help. And, so, and it says here, full of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, we see 
the work of the Holy Spirit to take ordinary people and use them by God's grace in extraordinary ways. And I'm here to tell you that God will take you, if you have faith in Christ, an ordinary person, and use you in ways that only God knows the profundity and the outcome. We don't know everything, but God uses us. By the way, thank you for your prayers and acts of kindness toward my mom, who I um, was able to see Friday from a little bit of distance. I stood in the doorway. I brought my grandson, who recently graduated from college, who wanted to say goodbye to his great-grandma while she was still here. And he read a card that had come from the church from somebody, which was very encouraging. And he was able to greet my mother, and I was able to talk to her. She's cogent. She's in hospice. Paul, she said that you were the one working there who was taking care of her in some way. And so here's somebody from church working for this uh, home where my mom is. So, So thank you. So he showed up. Somebody brought her a shawl in the hospital, came from the church, Beth, I believe, and she said that was a lifesaver because she's always cold. See, it isn't about being some grand, glorious, brilliant prophet, an apostle full of miracles and power. I'm so sick of getting, I get those emails just to see what they're doing. Grandiose, horrible, prideful, grandiose claims about everything. It's about showing up and caring about the Lord's people and doing what comes to mind to do. And then different gifts come to the surface. That's God's business. So uh, that's just how it works. So it turns out that Saul, the one who hated Christians and hated Christ, in fact, Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me when he was persecuting Christians? Became the one God chose to, through Christ to appear to and to, to give us all the New Testament. That's God's business. We don't know the future, but God does. And as I've said many times, show up, ready to serve, and we'll see what the Lord does. It's that simple. Honestly, it really is that simple. There's no secret plan to finding success and profundity is believing the promises of God, caring for the people of God, doing simple, basic things. You might say, well, why, why does that mean anything? Simple, basic things. Because people realize that God cares for them and that his people care for them And that means a lot. And it means so much to my mother, who's been here. And you've all been so kind. So I'm saying from my heart, thank you. Thank you. And also for your prayers for me. What God did in my life here as far as health is beyond any miracle I could even have ever expected. I, I can't even blow out my voice anymore. 
Not that I'm trying to, but I've had cases where if it was ever going to go out, it would have. It just doesn't. So God does answer prayer. Okay, so Barnabas stood up for Paul. He was full of the Spirit. He encouraged people. And what he did was just show up and do what he could because it was there to be done. And so he went to find Saul. Antioch in God's providence becomes a key place because the Roman Empire, the gospel was going to go around the Roman Empire. And God chose to do it that way. I have a little story I want to tell before Sunday school's over, but uh, let's try to get through at least more than one slide today. <laughs> Acts 2.41. It says, and then, and so then those who had received the word were baptized that day, and there were added about 3,000 souls. That was Peter preaching the word and God using that. Um, one of the things we need to talk about is providence, and I think I've got a couple slides. I will mention this again because Eric Fredrickson, who's sick today, was... We had 25 of these out. They're pertinent to Ephesians. And so Christy had made some. And I'm going to talk about it in Sunday school here. This doctrine of providence is one of the most important doctrines taught in the Bible. And hardly any Christian seems to know about it anymore. Because it's not taught often. So I wrote an article about it in 2009 called Providence and Promise, How God Rules His Universe for the Good of His People. And what we need to talk about is what we do know, what we don't know, and that we are safe in God's promises because what what we don't know because God hasn't chosen to reveal it will not harm us. We hear, oh, what you don't know is going to destroy you. Well, what God hasn't chosen to reveal, if we try to know it, that'll harm us. But if we believe God, what we don't know won't harm us. But if we neglect what we could know, if we were willing to know it, had we only studied what God said, that neglect will harm us. Okay? So I want to deal with that, and we'll probably have to do it in a Sunday school setting so that we can have interaction because there's so many questions. So... That's issue, it's on CICministry.org, issue 113, July, August 2009, Providence and Promise, How God Rules His Universe for the Good of His People. There are copies upstairs. There are copies, yeah, we had 25, they all went, Christy made some more. (laughs) Um, So, and when he found him, so he finds Saul in Tarsus, and brought him to Antioch. Now, I think last week, as we ran out of time, I told you a little about Antioch, another hotbed of paganism. There was a a myth, and some of the myths had semi-relationship to things that probably happened many, 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 many centuries before, but they believed that the gods had come down this I don't know if this had any relationship to Genesis six or not, but they believed that the gods had come down 
and encounter mortal women, and they're and that would it supposedly happened at some place near Antioch, and there was a goddess cult, and the goddess was called Daphne, and the cult followers would uh, encounter uh, pagan religious prostitutes in a grove that was related to this is so wicked I hate to talk about it but it helps us understand how wicked paganism really is okay and it was Antioch and it was so bad even the pagans considered it bad and one of the phrases in the pagans world to describe somebody who was really bad was they have the morals of Daphne Daphne was a pagan goddess that was worshipped near Antioch so into this pagan, horrible, wicked place comes the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are converted, their sins are forgiven, and Barnabas goes and brings Saul to teach the truth to these people who come from such a pagan environment. For an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Is there any discussion about what I've said so far? (coughs) Okay. Now, um, why did he come and teach Christians? I wanted to talk about teaching the truth of scripture being a way that God changes people. We call that means of grace. God uses means. And when Christians are taught, as Paul was doing there in Antioch, the truth which reveals who God is, what his virtues and nature are, what his promises are, what he has revealed to be his true moral law, and so forth. As we learn these things, God uses them to change us and cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. I believe that. Eric and I, I haven't done it yet. I'll wait till fall because I want people to be back from the cabin. But Eric and I recorded a radio show about how God changes lives and that gospel truth is a means of grace. Okay? And we will, we will put that out there. I've got it on my hard drive. But um, Galatians 3, 3 and so forth, or uh, Colossians 1, 28, was it? Yeah, so the gospel changes us and the truth changes us. Go ahead, Eric. In fact, Bob, I turned to Colossians 1.28. When Bob was preaching through Colossians, this passage really struck me. Go ahead. It really hit me, um, the profundity of it. And here's why. Right now, in evangelicalism, gospel-centric sanctification is under attack. The idea in a lot of the Reformed tradition is once you're saved as a believer, you go back to the law. Kelvin talked about the third use of the law. So the idea is you go back to the law and you basically pound yourself into submission as a Christian and that's the way you're sanctified to become more godly. But Bob and I are saying that no, the way you become more godly is by preaching the gospel, by teaching what the scriptures actually say. Now turn to Colossians 128. This is a passage that Bob and I 
uh, really focused on in that radio program, and it's one that he taught really well in his sermon, and here's why it struck me. Notice Colossians 1.28. This proves gospel-centric sanctification. Colossians 1.28, it says, Him we proclaim. So just stop there. We proclaim. That's cotton gallo. It's synonymous with preaching the gospel. So Paul could have said, we proclaim him in the gospel. That's what he's saying. So him we proclaim, that's the gospel, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So how do you teach someone? Well, it's the scriptures, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So through preaching the gospel and teaching everyone the scriptures, every single person is what? Mature in Christ. That's exactly what happened here in Acts 11. Exactly. Teaching them for a year. Go ahead. And that's the point. Uh, the scriptures, like you've said, Bob, are what sanctify people. It's not by pounding on them. It's not by giving them back to the law of Moses as a binding legal code. What changes yes. people to scripture, just like you're saying. It's good to have you here, brother. You know, uh, one of the things that I've been fighting is the idea that every time you see a problem, you need a program. Honestly, if you want to look at it, Rick Warren is a good symbol of what's wrong with the church. A program for everything. God's not going to do something. We just need a program and motivate people to volunteer. We're going to stomp out this. We're going to stomp out that. We're going to solve this. We're going to solve that. Join here. Give here. Here, And so we create these massive programs and then get everybody to join. And then that's, that's so American. I, when I studied church history under my uh, professor and friend, Dr. William Travis, one of the things we studied was the post-millennialism of the 19th century in America. And there were dozens and dozens of societies created in America to try to bring the millennium to America without Christ. Charles Finney's philosophy was do more, try harder. Uh, and this is what's wrong. More programs, more motivating people to do, more motivating people to give. Here's, how, here's what we're going to do. Sign up. Then get everybody to run the program. Now we've got all these programs and then they exist and they're created to carry themselves on And eventually they become something they weren't to start with. And it gets really bad. I get emails. Well, this this place is going liberal and that place is going. We got to fight. Look at what's happening with this and that entity that somebody created. And my response was, why do we need that entity at all? Institutionalizing and making Christianity a program is not taught in the Bible. It's not about programs. It's about God changing lives through his ordained means. This is simple. They just did what came at hand to do, and they had more prophets, and we don't have authoritative prophets today. They did then. So we'll see about the famine and stuff. All they did was take up an offering to bring food relief to people in Jerusalem. They didn't create... A program for a hundred years later, God's program for Jerusalem food. They just did what came to hand. I, I mentioned to several what all people did for my mom who's in hospice care. They just did it. 
They didn't. Why? Because Christians care for each other. That's all. That's how God works, yes. If you got yeah, if you got enough cord there, go ahead. When when uh, Eric was uh, reading that uh, Colossians one twenty eight, and you talk about the uh, maturity uh, in in Christ, the question then comes: Well, what does that maturity look like? And uh, in in uh, uh, Colossians two, then it goes on to describe what that maturity looks like. And it's not how many Bible verses you can memorize. It's not how well you can discuss theology with other people. Uh, In fact, it comes down, and I'll just read it here, it's attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting, keyword, the true knowledge of Christ. Yeah, it's relational. Yeah, it's a relational thing. One of our brothers was out visiting California and told me a story. They were out by Rick Warren's church, so they stopped by. Well, he had, his new program was, you know, where Paul says, pray without ceasing. Tell me, I think it was Rich. Tell me if I get this story wrong. Um, pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that? Well, you set up a program. And then it's got to be like at this time of the day, 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 time of the day for so long then you know you did it. Well, with evangelicalism like that, who needs Roman Catholicism? <laughs> then if you don't think that's enough, you can take and start taking oaths, which, which he has in his ridiculous book, which isn't even Christian, by the way. Take an oath before you even know what you're taking an oath to do. And don't pay any attention to the Bible telling us not to take oaths. Why should we listen to the Bible when we could listen to a man's program? Do more, try harder. Do more, try harder. Do more, try harder. Join, give, join, give. Okay? And then the next thing you know, we got Rome. Well, then, if you want to be really pious, take another oath and take an oath of celibacy, and then you'll be more pious. Then if you really want to be pious, take an oath to join an order and sit there uh, in some monastery, and then you can really pray 24 hours a day unless you might have to sleep. But there's a way of practicing sleep deprivation so that you can be even more pious. If that's not enough, you hang yourself on a granite wall with shackles so that it sucks all the heat out of your body. Then you can really be pious. Here's the alternative. Believe the promises of God. Pray without ceasing is no different than being devoted to prayer. And God is not a fickle God like that of the pagans. Our Father loves us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of us wicked sinners who deserve nothing. And Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. And he gives us a throne of grace. And he tells us that if we go to him, he hears us. How long does it take before that happens? It doesn't matter. We know he hears us. You might be driving down the road and you go, I need help. Dear Lord, help me. Yes, Eric. 
So I was, I was thinking about, um, you know, you, you mentioned um, the gospel is, is what changes us, and then Brian said the knowledge is really the knowledge of God. I can't remember exactly how he said it. The true knowledge of God. Okay. And I was thinking, you know, what is the gospel as compared to, you know, like the acts that you're talking about or that false piety that, that I'm going to earn something that's mentioned in, uh, at like, Corinthians where it says, well, if you sacrifice your body to the flames and have not love, you've got nothing. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the men of God, they often sacrifice their bodies to the flames out of love, and they have everything. So it's, it's like learning. Uh, depends what you mean by that. If they stood up for the gospel and somebody martyred them, yes. Right. But if they hired somebody to turn up the flames because they think that, that way they might actually find salvation, then no. Because some of the pagans throw themselves off of cliffs hoping to find God. See, I'm finding more and more material. Thank you, by the way. More and more material that's been excavated in Asia Minor, thanks to God's providence. Now, Turkey is not a good country, but it's stable enough that um, they can excavate these places. And that's where they're finding about the groves of Daphne and the, the places of worship where they practice self-made piety and all that kind of stuff. The gospel comes along and says that God loves us, that he cares for us, that he hears our prayers, and that he'll take care of us. And we have assurance, and it's not based on our piety. Yes, Christy. Well, I just want to contrast or have a biblical contrast for programs versus true biblical ministry because God says he does have works for us that we might walk in them Mm -hmm. in Ephesians 2 um, 10 and so I just wanted to maybe put some focus on what a true biblical ministry might look like Um, you know characteristics or how do we as a person who wants to serve the Lord I want to know that I'm walking in the works that God has for me And so it's confusing sometimes. Okay. I believe that part of the gifts is to be organized and to administrate and to do everything decently and in order. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with that. We should do that. And there are people that want to serve. They can do so more efficiently if what's going to happen is organized enough so we know what really happened. I'm not against that. But a society to stomp out all of the bad problems in America or creating an entity that's guaranteed to go on for generations, even if nobody that's in the organization at that point even knows Christ, creates the problem. Let me give you an example. And I don't know all the details, but I've been getting emails about apostasy within the Southern Baptist Convention. I haven't got involved. I don't know what's happening, but there's some political battle going on. And so some of you may have heard about it. Southern Baptists are having a battle. And so I've got emails from some of my friends. My answer was this. I don't care if there is a Southern Baptist convention. That sounds crass, but I'm being totally honest with you. I don't even care. You know why? And this is, this is, I'm trying out ideas for the book I hope to write. Why is there Lutheran social services? It would be an embarrassment to Luther. 
because somebody created a program that lasted so many hundred years or whatever. And so if the liberals don't take over Southern Baptist now, they probably will 30 years from now. Because you keep people, you, you try to keep the kids in the organization. So you do everything you can. Make your kids stay here. Baptize them and tell them they got a halfway covenant. Tell them this. Tell them that. Make them so eccentric they don't fit in everywhere else like the Amish have done. Do anything you can to make it so your kids can't leave because of cultural reasons. And if you're good at that, guaranteed that a couple hundred years from now, they'll be running something with your name on it that's totally pagan. Because you don't gain regeneration by being baptized as a baby. You don't gain regeneration by being made so eccentric you can't even have friends. By not using cars, just riding horses. Amish. By this or that or this or that. Let's just do all these different things. Let's just say you can't use any Bible but the King James. That's the same dumb idea. Makes people so eccentric you can't relate to anybody. Does that preserve the faith once for all delivered to the saints? No. And eventually, I get emails from people in Africa where English is a second language. And they said, please send us a case of Bibles. We want the King James. Well, if Americans or even Britain, British people don't speak King James English, why should we export stuff? The people that they, they can't understand English as it's spoken today. How are they going to understand the Bible in English that nobody speaks? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Now, I won't listen to it. I don't care who thinks I'm a liberal because I don't use the King James Bible. One of the principles of the Reformation, and we do affirm all of the, the, the solas, but scripture alone Luther, to fight Rome, said that people should have Bibles in the common vernacular. Now, when you go to work or wherever you go, do you ever hear anybody speak King James English? He that doeth, doeth. What's that? Who says that? So now the people who say, I'm pious, you're not. Because he refuses to use a Bible in the common vernacular has more in, fa- more in common with Rome than with the Reformation. So excuse me while you think that I'm not very good. I don't care. Brother Eric. So I was just going to, I was thinking about Christie's question, like how to serve God, if I took it right. Anyways, uh, I was thinking... You know, like, so there's the gospel, and then there's uh, the, the commands of the gospel, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, I'm kind of losing my thoughts. So, okay. So when we... When I we, think I can... Yeah, let, can yeah, I... You had something? Yeah. I think I get the essence of your question. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, the obvious question I would have, do I do that? Say your question? Uh, Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. You know why I knew that? Because we all have it. Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I I don't know. I don't don't know. The thing that is awful is how unloving I am. 
then I need God's grace. Back to what Eric, the middle age over here, said. <laughs> That's why we have gospel-centered sanctification. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. And I can't be sure that I have enough love for God. I wish I had more. But I do know that he loves me. And I do know that he has put love in my heart. And I do know that I was an enemy of Christ, like Saul, who now wants to serve him, however inadequately I might. So Eric the Younger, we simultaneously need assurance that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit and put in front of us that we're supposed to love God and one another. So the promises and the truth plus the moral guidance is all part of teaching for a whole year. If I didn't know I'm supposed to love anybody, God loves me, that's good enough. I get to be a jerk seven days a week. No, six days a week. Be nice on Sunday. Well, then I didn't quite get it. All right? So these things work together. Now, when is it perfected? After the resurrection. But it doesn't mean we don't need that. But here's what I mean about the problem of the program. Unscrupulous religious leaders realize people feel like that, and so they give them false assurance. If you join my program and give so much money and do so many good deeds, and you do it every time we tell you to, then you can feel like you love God. You get to feel good about how much you love God because you're serving my program. Let me tell you something. Human beings are geniuses at turning the grace of God into works if they can figure out how to do it. Rome has had over a thousand years of practice. Works righteousness is the default religion of the human race. We'll go to it every time we get a chance. And we have to all the time put the gospel in front of people. Your sins are forgiven. God loves you. The Holy Spirit has filled you with love and joy and hope and and confidence in God. You have access to the throne of God. God cares about you. God will use you because God is a great God, not because we're great Christians. And we need to help the flock not get sucked into all these programs that's out there where here's how you pray without ceasing. Join my program and sign an oath that you did it. Does that make sense? Do you get the difference? Yes, Brother Paul. Yes, I do believe uh, it's in the book of Romans or someplace like that, that we are given the gospel so that we might do good works. I believe that is the case. Is that not true? Yeah, the result is that we do by by his grace, but we wouldn't know a good work from a bad work if we didn't have the truth of Scripture alone. Look at the people that are protesting over the weekend because we're not letting enough people break the law. Did you see that? Okay. The reason why I bring that up is because I just recently attended a thing called the Advocates. And they're for human rights. And however you might want to interpret that, there are many people in that place that are trying to do the kinds of things that would help other people uh, attain respect, attain those kinds of things. And... uh, 
there are people of faith that were there, without question, as far as I'm concerned, that they were people of faith, but I can't look into their hearts and tell. Yeah. Uh, God alone knows, not me. God knows the heart. Exactly right. So uh, either we hand the baton over to Satan and say, okay, we don't even try, or we try and we don't. But the only thing is that whatever program it is, if it guarantees or tries to guarantee a sense of meaning, purpose, security, safety, that's not good. Well, there's another issue, Paul. Thanks for bringing that up. What is the domain? All right. The domain here we're looking at is the church in Antioch. Is that not right? And they eventually are going to help the church in Jerusalem. What went wrong in our country is that domain becomes America itself. And the myth, America's national myth is that America has a covenant with God. And that all of these things that we're reading about aren't for the church, they're for America. And so all of our religious battles are between one version of what it means to do good work. They say, well, doesn't the Bible tell us to show kindness to strangers? Yes. So does that mean America shouldn't have any borders? Well, no, because it says in Acts 17 that God draws out the boundaries of nations. Well, when we talk about providence, we'll get into this. The domain is not America or the state of Minnesota, the domain is the church. And what we do to preach the gospel and to go out to others with Christ and the gospel and to care for one another. But if I go down and say, well, I'm going to make America a Christian country by, and then you, there's, where's the most violent battle going on? One side says, we've got all of this moral evil going on, which we do. And the moral evil is selling drugs, killing babies, all this kind of stuff. It's true. The other side is, no, we have all this mere, uh, evil going on because we got people who don't want people to illegally cross the border, so they're doing evil. And they're just as fired up about that. They put on black hats and beat people over the head. I saw that in the news this morning. But America isn't the church. Do you understand that? America is not the church. America has no covenant with God. America is one of the goyim, the nations. And by God's grace, there's a certain amount of restraint. God is restraining evil by civil government. Some cases better than others. But to make America the church and then try to apply everything in the Bible to this geopolitical entity is equivocating on the terms. Eric, and this Eric and then that Eric, go ahead. Or did you have something? No, but, you know, um, I'm, I'm very glad this is a great subject. You know, one of the things I think when we look at what we should be doing are things related to what Christ has commanded. And it ties in very nicely. Remember your idea of the means of grace. There are three things that are true of it. There's a command given by Christ. There's a promise given, and it's accessible to all Christians. Those are the things that we're to be devoted to. Now, let's take uh, Rick Warren's peace plan. Can't we biblically say that peace only comes when the Prince of Peace comes? Amen. Well, why is he then saying we should be devoted to doing it through human means? 
You see, that's anti-biblical. In fact, that's what the world does under Antichrist. While they're saying peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them. Yes. So there are a lot of works that people engage in that are antithetical to what the scriptures are calling them to do. And I think that gets to your question, uh, Christy. The good works that we're called to do have to be derived biblically from the Bible. For us to be salt and light in Matthew 5 means I first understand a biblical worldview, understand what God has said, and on that basis I act. If I start doing things that are antithetical to what the scriptures, like Bob gave the example, God ordains borders. The Marxists say we should have no borders. Well, wait a minute. Why should I be morally outraged about God doing what he said he would do in his word? But they're morally outraged against God. See, they're trying to overthrow God. So if I end up working to overthrow God, I don't think that that's a program that I want to join. Okay? But if I want to save babies who are made in the image of God, and they say, look, every one of these babies, every single human being is made in the image of God. In fact, in Genesis 9, it says, if a man sheds a man's blood, so by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Because every single human being is valuable. That I can say is a good work. Why? Because it's derived from the scriptures. Yes. And so that's how I think we determine what's a good work and what's not. Get a copy of this, and we got to talk about it. The moral will of God and the providential will of God. If we don't have those categories, we won't understand it. God draws out boundaries, says that. Every boundary that's ever been drawn, bad things happen. And there are revolutions and bloodshed and, and all this. So evil happens. Now, in my article, I talk about Job. Remember where he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good? That, in the essence, is the doctrine of providence. Yes, Brian, and I'm so thinking about Eric over here. Go ahead. Okay, so you got me really thinking. You got my gears really turning now, Bob. Uh-oh. Okay, so that was good. So you mentioned you mentioned the the realms, right? So we brought up the different realms. So we've got the realm of the church, the realm of the country, and I started thinking, well, isn't there a realm of human virtue? And there are scriptures that talk about human virtue, and I think that it's. It, it may help some confusion, dispel some confusion, if we keep in mind that righteousness only comes from the blood of Christ. Righteousness does not come from human virtue, but that doesn't make human virtue an invalid, useless thing. Yeah, there's a term in theology, thanks for bringing that up. There's a theological term for that that I think is valid, so we should use it. It's called common grace. And the way I've said it before is uh, good and evil have ontological status. Evil is a real thing. And it's always evil, in other words, to murder people. And what did I see? Here, let me give you an example. I just saw this on... I was trying to watch an auto auction and on came the Discovery Channel so I didn't get to see any 1965 GTOs cherried out. (laughs) But I I kept watching and it showed an excavation of a religious shrine somewhere in Asia and it showed the the worshippers holding skull caps that were cut off of people for their sacred offerings. So you murder people and cut off the top of their head and use it to make an offering to the deity you claim to serve. Now, maybe they think they're doing good. 
that's, that's to your point. Ontologically, murdering people to cut off the top of their skull cap and dry it out and turn it into their communion cup is evil. Whoever does it. What's ontological? Uh, as an order of being, it is. Uh, ontos is being. And so when we say something's ontological, so that's, for example, the virtues of God. When we say God is love, ontologically, love is an attribute of God. And in God's case, unlike ours, it's non-contingent. God's very nature and being is love, and it stays that way because of who he is. But he has other attributes as well. Eric, you've been patient. Go ahead. No, that's good. I actually, Eric answered such a good answer about the gospel as the light of how we live the right way that I almost didn't even say anything. But I was thinking when uh, Brian brought up the uh, question or the, the thing about the two realms, and, and this, this was a, an example this morning that happened to me, and it's just a reminder that we're in like a spiritual battle. But anyways, in, in light of the truth, like we want the truth because the truth is light, and it's like how we can, it honors God when we build each other up. And anyways, it's, it's like the light of the scripture is we can't earn grace. Like when we yeah. sin, we need to I'll, cry out to God. Let but me I, remind you of something, Eric, that will yeah. help on that. In Revelation, now Pastor Eric has preached on this, uh-huh. and I think it comes from Zechariah. The accuser of the brethren accuses them day and night. How did they overcome him? By their good works? No, their good works come after, by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. And so if we don't have the blood atonement, then all we're doing is trying to be better than some other sinner. And it's virtuous. I'd rather live around virtuous sinners than ones that are going to cut my my skull off and use it for their God. Which one would you rather have for a neighbor? (laughs) All right, that's my point. And Christianity does bring a degree of light in the sense that we're salt and light in the world because we do know the moral law of God or the Ten Commandments. And the, the law, it does help us. Thou shalt love the Lord. You might think, well, I want this or I want that then I might think, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all our soul. I don't need a new this or that. I need to know God. It helps us resist temptation because it's the moral law of God. But if you're not born of God, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the love of God in your heart, you don't want to do the moral law of God. You don't even want to. Woe to them and call good evil evil good. So we got to do providence and we got to learn this. But what did he do for a year to help the church where Saul was brought? They uh, taught, taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were called Christians. Something happened this week. I got to tell you, when I was looking at this, we're going to do it again, get through one slide. Oh, well. Uh, it's better to learn than to cover territory. I, amazing thing happened this week. I got an email from a pastor in Israel. And the pastor said, the new apostolic reformation is decimating the church in Israel. It's coming in to all different kinds of denominations over here. And people are being tempted. 
He said one of the things is the way they survive is tour buses. Well, these false teachers promise the pastors so many tour buses a year. If you just bring in, you know, Bill Johnson or uh, New Apostolic Reformation or P- Kenneth Copeland or Benny, Benny Hinn, I don't know who's all the latest. And so, the, and so, this, so I sent him, he'd read my article and asked for permission to translate it into four languages. He said in Israel we have Hebrew, Russian, but he, you know, he mentioned the four languages. And we need to warn the church. Well, so then he said, can I talk to you on the phone? So I talked to him on the phone Friday. Here's this beautiful, dear pastor in Israel. And I never met him in my life. And within five minutes, we had wonderful fellowship. We, had, we were on the same page. We understand the gospel. We understand the truth. We're trying to help each other. He, and so then, I, so I'm working with him and we're trying to make the article on the New Apostolic Reformation and what's wrong with it accessible to the churches in Israel. And I thought about our Sunday school. God used Antioch because it was the third most important city in the Roman Empire as a base so the gospel would go all over the world. I told Diane after I talked to the pastor, the amazing thing is this guy is in Israel and we're talking on the phone and it's as clear as if we were in the same room. And what, and, and through things like writing an article about providence or what is or isn't an apostle, this can go all over the whole world in multiple languages right here and right now without ever getting on an airplane, much less a ship or a donkey. But the message to the apostles spread through the Roman Empire by writing something that would take days to get somewhere else, instantaneously I'm in Israel. Instantaneously the article's in Israel. And the pastor is finding the tools he needs to point people to the gospel and not to these guys who claim they can do better miracles than Jesus and the apostles. That's what they claim. And the fellowship we had was fantastic and I'd never met him before. So we've never had a better opportunity in world history for the gospel to go everywhere simultaneously with YouTube, with written material, with video, audio, telecommunications. And what a shame that who's using it is the heretics. The heretics are sending their stuff everywhere. Dear ones, we need to really get the gospel right and how God sanctifies people and what God has revealed and what's true. And we need to use these same media. It's not how it gets there. It's what it is when it does get there. Paul can go on a ship to Rome and when he got there, because he was a prisoner, actually, that's how he got there, he preached the gospel, the end of Acts. But a heretic can do the same thing with a false gospel. And Paul's message wasn't, 
Uh, I'm going to appeal to Caesar because I'm going to tell him how to make Rome a better place for everybody to live in. I'm going to tell Caesar how to wipe out poverty in Rome. Is that, was that his message? No, it's the forgiveness of sins. That's what unifies us. So let's make sure we get the gospel right, we get the message right, and then use our gifts and try to get the truth out to people by all of these means that are there that are going to be used by the heretics no matter what. And in fact, as we run out of time, let's pray. And I'm going to pray for this pastor that I just met and thank God for him and pray that what he wants to do is successful. Dear Lord, thank you that we can learn together as we open up the scripture. Dear Lord, this pastor who wants to make sure the gospel is pure as is taught in the nation of Israel, pray that you'd give him protection, wisdom, ability to help people see the difference concerning what the true gospel is and what's being taught by the false teachers. Help him to show even the pastors who Jesus is and how these false heretics have a false Christ. And Lord, we pray for the well-being of all the saints in Israel, that they might be protected from all of this damaging heresy. And we thank you, Lord, for the fellowship of the saints and for the grace that you've shown us in Jesus' holy name. Amen.